Hello, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes. Neither rain, nor snow, nor the catastrophic implosion of my body will stop us from being the number one Legend of the Galactic Heroes recap podcast on the internet. As always, I'm your host, G, somehow here and nominally functional, and with me, also nominally functioning, is my co-host, Eero. Hi, uh, yep, I'm still here. You know, it's been two years since season one ended. Uh, we're 1991 now, I think. Yeah, it, it uh, certainly feels like it's been two years since the last time we've recorded, so... <laughs> but uh, somehow we're here, and somehow we're ready? Well... <laughs> you know, yeah, as ready as we can be. Yeah, as ready as we will. Yeah, because... The Galactic Heroes. Exactly, you know, uh... As always, you could say we've got an interesting trio of episodes. (laughs) And as Eero alluded to, that's because we're in season two, baby. Everything has changed, but all your friends are still here, except Kirky Eyes. (laughs) He's with us in spirit. Uh, He is. He's watching on from above. Turning uh, in his grave. Yeah, yeah, you know, turning in his grave so fast he could power a small country on his own. But we'll get into that later. You know, we might as well just uh, just roll right into these episodes. So this week we are going to be talking about 27, 28, and 29. Yep, 27, the first battle, 28 portraits, and 29, one narrow thread. Yes. And uh, let's just go uh, right into it. So episode 27 kicks off with with a new OP. Yeah, season two means we have a new opening and a new ending sequence. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I'm actually going to really miss Skies of Love and uh, Crossing the Bridge of Light. Yeah, yeah. I I will miss those. uh, I will miss that ED especially. Yeah. But uh, in general, you know, both uh, both of those tracks are iconic for a reason. They're great. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. The new so one that, is. Uh, sorry, so go ahead. That, so now every episode starts with a uh, like just an image of some German words of about how in every age in every place the deeds of men remain the same. Yeah, you know that tracks, and then it kicks off with an opening sequence straight out of like I think uh, the way you put it. 90s the engine game. Yeah, yeah. Specifically, it, how everyone's faces just pop up and then like slide across the screen yes in a letter in a letterbox like uh view (laughs) that's right out of like uh blood or tokyo maki memorial or something you know it's very good in its own weird way and you know can't help but comment on like how like kind of better everybody is animated in that op to the point where (laughs) I almost struggled to recognize certain characters because I was like, wait a minute, you've never looked this good in the TV show. Yeah. Also, I uh, I don't think we can... I still don't think we can name everyone. No, in fact, they got a lot of new names now, so I think, I think that game is only going to get harder with every season. <laughs> but Indeed. We, will, we will persist. But let's talk about the show itself. Yeah. Episode 27. Uh, yeah kicks off the recap of season one it's been two years after all Mm -hmm. but uh more importantly 
we start off like basically going into battle uh what like a training uh yeah so we find out that uh our friend dusty attenborough is uh is admiral now and uh while out on a routine training mission you know on the outskirts of Iserlone, as these things are want to happen he runs into an imperial fleet and they start pounding his ass because he was out there for training so yep they've all got they've got all their new pilots like sergeant julian mincy hell yeah he's promoted yeah he's a, julian's a now. he's a pilot yeah. julian's a pilot I'm so happy <laughs> yeah you know He's uh he's a uh, he's uh <laughs> looking more and more like uh Luke Skywalker yeah, every episode. Yeah, orange pilot suits are just yeah. right out. And you know we see later some Imperial pilots who are just in the Tie Fighter. Yeah, pilot yeah. Suits. The uh, the Empire and FPA outfits are a look, and I am totally here for it. So. Star Wars was very influential. Yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, so Julian uh, thrust into the fires of battle, and yeah. you know he's a uh, he's a little nervous because you know life and death battles and shit. Yep. But uh, you know he luckily you he know. can think back on the advice of uh, yes. his mentor Yang Wen Li. Yep, and also <laughs> the advice of his superiors Konev and Poplin. Uh, yes, yes, those two guys. But uh, but yes, uh, we we have a we have a great flashback here or pseudo flashback. We're like, oh, Yang's appearance in this season is shot from behind. Yes, <laughs> sitting on his iconic table and giving the fantastic advice of Julian. Can you rely on someone who's never died and yet speaks importantly about death? <laughs> what a Which, great, you know. Yep, that's already going on the the list of woke young lines. Yes, yes, which uh, tells you there. that we are already off to a good start here. Um, but but meanwhile, we also hear that uh, Reinhard has been up to some business and causing yeah, some major reform. Uh, yeah. across the empire. Apparently, he has just magically fixed the entire empire single handedly. Guess like apparently because he sees the entire treasury of the Leapstad League. Like, you can just do that or something. I mean, let me read off the list here. Abolishing the nobles' privileges, liberating private lands, establishing democratic constitutions, reforming the tax laws, allowing farmers to start their own credit union, and guaranteeing their freedoms of speech and the press. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of good stuff. And I guess I can't help but wonder, you know... It's in a show that often feels so weighty and grounded in the way that it carries its politics, especially with the FPA, you know, the struggles of the FPA to live to see another day as its, you know, (laughs) own politicians eat itself to death. Right. I, I can't help but sometimes feel a little, it feels a little uneven, like just how magically and seemingly without consequence or struggle, Reinhard can just clean up the system. Yeah. But at the same time, I think some of that is probably intentional. You know, it's meant to show, like, in a perfect world, right? In a perfect world with a perfect ruler with absolute power, they, are these the sort of things that would start to happen, right? Like, yeah. if such a thing ever existed, if such a ruler could exist these are the things that maybe they could uh, start to usher in. But 
in fairness to the show, like they also immediately have the two uh, political guys, Carl Blake and Eugen Richter, right? Uh, saying basically, they're they kind of are arguing, or one of them saying, uh, people still aren't like it's still an autocratic governance, right? The other guy is like, well. Yes, but it's clear that significant progress has been made from how things used to be. Yeah, yeah. I I think I, I'm glad that conversation is in the show because you know, right. I, I think I think it is important that somebody voices the very real world concern that yes, you have fed and clothed us, you have freed us from our chains, but you still have not actually given us the power to remove your power. And right. if that is never a part of this government, then it can never truly be called a freedom. Yeah. You know, like in, in a perfect world, you know, in a perfect, you know, in a world where there is true democracy, where the people truly have a say in things, right? Like, you know, it's, it's what we see with the FPA. Then you, you must give your people the right to destroy themselves. Right. It's, <laughs> it's as depressing as that sounds. It's without that, it can't truly be called yeah you know, freedom so to speak but it's kind of interesting to jump straight into like after the previous episode was reinhardt's almost broken by the loss of kirky eyes you know and like we see him jump like going down that slippery slope of yeah fascism basically uh yeah this, well i well that's a thing right like he is now in this yeah in this now, now in this intro to season two he seems to be straight back into like doing everything perfectly right yeah or at least he is initially portrayed as such well, the, yes. i think the important thing to to mention about this episode is that the reinhardt we see in this episode is facade reinhardt it's almost yes. propaganda film version of reinhardt <laughs> we, we're seeing yeah. we're seeing the reinhardt that is like waving to the crowds and you know kissing babies and like you know <laughs> cutting ribbons with oversized scissors that's the version <laughs> of reinhardt <laughs> How <laughs> we see in this episode. Uh, like this episode me, is mostly Lohengram, the keys to the city today. Yeah, yeah. And so the, we see Reinhardt in a more like exposition esque sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, I am glad that those two guys did mention that. I think the thing I need to see now is I need to actually see that in the show itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that like actually, we, we, most people still don't have freedom or, or we we've only been granted freedom in name only, but right. You know, Hey, it, 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 as the other guy said, it is better. You know, we no longer live in the, the version of the empire where nobles are getting drunk and deciding <laughs> I'm, you know, let's nuke our own planets. Yeah. But, but anyways, let's get back to the battle where yep. Dusty Attenborough is trying to put up a fight with his training fleet and, you know, predictably getting his ass beat because, yeah, you know, but... he's entirely stuck with, you know, green recruits. Indeed. Although, but, uh, enemy on. admiral, like, he's really not pushing his luck because yeah. what is that young Wendley planning? How come they're not putting up much of a fight? He must be planning something. <laughs> You gotta love that Yang's sheer reputation <laughs> continues to strike fear into the heart of every Empire commander. And what, this is like Zhuge Liang. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some, playing his liar or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Some Zhuge Liang, you know, Romance of the Three Kingdoms <laughs> shit. Just, what's he planning? 
he he's not a fool. He wouldn't just sit there and do nothing. He wouldn't be. He must be fighting badly on purpose. It must be part of his grander plan. And 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 as much as we joke, the problem is that every now and then. The problem is, is that for these Empire commanders, you can't blame them because every now and then they fight Yang Wenli and they're like, this Yang Wenli guy's not so tough. We're beating him pretty good. <laughs> and then he reveals that that was exactly his plan. <laughs> He's like, you fool. Getting punched in the face repeatedly was exactly my plan. Now your hand's broken. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, your I'm hand is broken. Style. How'd you like it? Yeah, yeah, like you, like you fool, you broke your fist on my face, and now I'm going to kick you to death or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so Yang's reputation keeping keeping Dusty in the fight, and uh, we get to see Julian, you know, getting his getting his licks yeah, in, getting his just, swings in in this battle. space battle. And first battle, get some get some shots in. Yeah, not just some shots, but fucking damn, Julian, fucking takes down a a a carrier or a, or a whole cruiser, ship or yeah. something a cruiser just like real real sly like too you know not even doing like a strafing run on it he like like he hides. he like, he, like so hides done. in the blind like spot of it go away. Yeah. yeah yeah waits for the sensor to disappear and then fucking just dumps on the motherfucker point blank you know it's, we don't we don't know if like julian is like you know i don't think we'll ever expect julian to be on yang's you know strategic strategic level but he's clearly pretty canny you know he he yeah. knows what he's doing you do get a little bit of him like classically good old classic oh my first kill let me freak out a little bit yeah i mean he's nervous he's totally nervous yeah. and we see that like he re- here's a here's a small detail i definitely love about this battle is that julian and uh, the other two guys are constantly returning back to the ship to resupply that's right. And you kind of, like, see them return to the cafeteria, and, like, each time there's, like, less and less pilots. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a good image. It's kind of a good bit. You know? People are, the fighters are not just out doing stuff the entire battle. Right, right. Like, battles are big, and battles take a long time. I mean, what did, like, well, you know, we'll get to this later, but, like, when Yang's talking about reinforcing them, and they say, how, how many hours is it going to take? Right. Like, right. you know, like, 12 or something? For like, eight. 12 hours or something. Yeah, yeah. And and it's that reminder that, you know, the version of battles we see in fiction are, you know, the, the are the version where things are done by the end of the episode. You know, the they're over minute 22 montage. minutes. But but battles go on for a long-ass time, and there are peaks and valleys in the fights. And especially for, uh, you know, in modern warf- warfare, you know, mechanized warfare, you know, uh, tanks, planes, the, all of these things, they... They got ammo, they got fuel, and they got to go back and get more. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh... Yeah, and so, yeah, Yong gets the call for reinforcements from Dusty, and, yeah. uh, we find out that, like, uh, Admiral Mercats and and his buddy are just at Yong's table now. Yeah, just hanging out there, still wearing their uniforms two yeah, years later. Yeah, their uniforms! <laughs> Which is, like... It's, like, what, a few months? Two months? Hold on. Wait, 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 what do you mean? Like, I thought it, it's, I mean, I mean, it's been like two years since they, they arrived at Iserlone, right? Mercats? Yeah, isn't it? Mercats from, who defected from the Empire. It's been yeah, a few it, months. Didn't they arrive at the end of season one? Yeah, and that was, that was like midway through the year, I think. 
this is now the start of a new year. It's been a couple months. Oh, it's been a couple months. My bad. I thought I thought it had been like one two years since oh, no. season one chronologically as well. Okay. Been, okay. No, it's been two. It's been two years since season one stopped airing and season two began airing. Right. Okay. For some reason, I thought it was both. It, for some reason, in my head, I thought it was both that and chronologically in the show because, you know, like freaking Julian being a sergeant, you know, rank pilot in in the space force. I was like. And that's not a thing that happens quickly, right? Like he probably had to go through like basic boot camp and like yeah, well, complete his you know, flying certification. He's been an officer's adjutant for a while. That doesn't translate to piloting a jet. That's <laughs> fine, fine. Nepotism. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, all right. That that makes it's a little more sense. Lessons from Jankov, it's fine. Yeah. Well, even then, you <laughs> still wearing their uniforms two months later. You yeah. think they'd find some other clothes for those guys to wear, but I guess you know you want to make sure they stay recognizable to the audience, right? But uh, but uh, they they Don have to talk about his advice uh, of like, so what do you think we should do to send reinforcements and it, like, what send like ten thousand ships or something? Overwhelm the enemy force so entirely that they'll retreat without attacking. Is basically his plan. Yes, yes, yeah, that's that's the gist of it. To to better elaborate, essentially, what Murkatz is talking about is one of the fundamental military uh, theories about how reinforcement should work in the battlefield. And the idea is essentially, it's it's the concept of immediately available manpower. It's 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 soft manpower versus hard manpower. Essentially, the idea being you can have ten thousand guys in a fight. But if you only ever have 2,000, 3,000 out on the field at a time, then that's actually your effective fighting strength. We we see this theory in play all the way back in the very beginning of Season 1. That's the exact military theory that uh, Reinhardt uses to defeat the FPA so soundly. Is that even if they, you know... Right, even though they outnumber, outnumber us. Him, yeah. If you're only ever fighting a fraction of their forces at any given time... And every time they reinforce, it's too small and too like you know too slow. weak of a, and too slow of a reinforcement. Then it's you know if if you're killing three thousand ships and you whittle them down to one thousand, and then two thousand more ships show up, you're basically still fighting three thousand ships, even right. if you actually had five thousand ships to begin with. And I, I kind of appreciate this bit here because I feel like most fiction don't really ever think about this kind of thing like i feel like in most fiction it's just you know the writers of rohan are here yeah. like <laughs> now we win here and they win when realistically like the thing the, writers the thing of is rohan would have to be a large large number yeah number. but but it's not only that but it's it, both times we've seen reinforcements here used in 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 the in the fiction, it's been the overwhelming force idea, which is we slow down, we wait until everybody's ready to go, and then we go at once. Which, in in this episode, does work out. It it barely works out for the FPA, and, and in many ways it only works out because the Empire commander is, you know, wigged out enough by Yang's yeah. reputation that he doesn't pursue. But... The other end of the spectrum of reinforcement theory is is the speed of reinforcement. Essentially, okay, fine, you're right. We should wait until all 10,000 are ready. But 
what if they don't have that time? Our buddies will just die. Yeah, yeah, like, what if they don't have six hours to wait? What if they only have three hours? What can we send? And and will what we can send in half that time still be enough to turn the tide of the battle? And these are the really difficult questions leaders have to ask themselves in, in, in battle. And I think that's why I love... It's one of the things I really love about Legend of the Galactic Heroes is kind of examining, okay, wh- what are these decisions and why do we make them? Because, you know, you anybody who's like taken, you know, like history in high school or college, you read about battles, you read about how they're lost, whether it's, you know, any famous battle, you know, it's Sekigahara or Waterloo or Normandy. You, you, you always ask like, you know, at reading from the history books, why didn't the generals just do this? It's so obvious in hindsight. But in the, yeah, in hindsight, not, right. not in the moment. But yeah, at that moment, you know, like, and and you know what? And, and I feel like this this works well because I apologize for rambling so long about this, but I'm <laughs> about to tie this back into the plot. This is really hard. This is a really hard decision for any commander to make. Mm-hmm. Matt, now, 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 remember that this commander is now Yang Wen Li. And Julian is in that battle. Yes, his son. His his son, his precious son. <laughs> and and now Yang still has to make the choice of, well, we're going to wait. Like, I just have to trust that Dusty and Julian will hold out long enough to be rescued. Like, that's... Like, like psychology, man. Like, the mental <laughs> fortitude. Yang like, can keep it together when he needs to. He can, he can, and that's his greatest trait. Like, but also, I, feel like... I think... I don't know if he would have... Hmm, based on stuff that comes later, like, I don't know if he would have done that if Mercats hadn't suggested it first. Uh, which, yeah. not, not to say that he wasn't thinking of... Not to say that he wasn't going to do that anyway, but... We'll get to it later. Uh, yes, yes. But anyway, so, you know, the Gambit, you know, luckily it plays out for everybody. Uh, we get this kind of great moment, you know, I just want to mention real quick where Julian is on his ship and it is like dying, you know, all <laughs> systems down, all systems right, failing. The, the ship like, he's refueling at is being blown up. Right, right. And this fucking grizzly old mechanic dude is like, I gave you enough fuel and ammo to get out of here, kid. You got, you got 20%. You know, <laughs> right. Just you fucking, <laughs> yeah, and then fucking Julie fucking blasts off, and then right behind him, <laughs> yeah. it's oh my god, it's it that's that good like space opera shit that I love, yeah, you know. Totally. It's it's that shit that happens in Gundam sometimes too, where like, you know, the 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 Gundam docks at the ship, and they're like, all right, get him like some beam ammo or some shit. It's like yeah. it's like, damn, we don't even have enough to resupply him. He's just. just Oh shit! The Zyong's here. Just, just get out of here. Hurry, quick. Uh, uh, so good. But uh, but yeah. So Yang, uh, the Yang fleet arrives just barely in time to uh, yeah. to swing hard and you know scare off the empire. Basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. the episode kind of finally ends with everybody kind of coming back together. You gotta have this, you know, a lot of good scenes with Yang here, where you know yeah. Yang's kind of like sitting on his table, Yang. you know, and then he's just like, you know, everyone's like, oh, I hear Yulian did really well and shot down three guys on a cruiser. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Yang was just like, oh, he used to follow his luck, and now he, he needs to be even extra careful. And 
Yeah. Now, now is the true test, and <laughs> you you have you have Yang being like a like a very good like very good pessimist, but but still genuinely loving dad here. Yeah. Where you, it's you like you know that he's saying this because he was worried about Yulian. Of course, you know? yes, yes, he's saying this all because he's worried, but also because that's just kind of who Yang is. Like Yang is obviously absolutely like. Because there's a scene even before that, right, where, like, Yang's just kind of, like, sitting at the table, like, like, staring off into space. And, like, Frederick is, like, giving him the report, right? Mm -hmm. And then he's like, and and Julian? Yeah. And she's like, he's safe and sound. And you could kind of just feel the... You could feel the tension. Yes, like, leave his breath. And, you know, it's, it's... there's there's a bittersweetness to this episode, of course. Like it, we're happy for Julian, right? He's kicking ass, he's taking names, but also like this is the life that Young, like that's the, the last day of innocence, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's it's the last it's the last possible thing that Young wanted for for Julian in a ways. But you know, <laughs> uh, we get this goofy ending to the episode. Where yeah, yeah. <laughs> Julian's like, I'm back now, Admiral. Young Young says, "I told you to, told you to be careful, not go out and, you know, be a damn of, hero, be part of a battle." And then we just get the good old everyone laughs and yeah, it's so good. Goofy shots of just like Ben <laughs> Pop, like smiling and nodding. And right, right. Like it's it's Ron, literally like, shaking his head and just me as Bogdashu give it a thumbs up. To yes, you. <laughs> yes. It's it's literally like the end of a of a sitcom, you know, where you know everybody's just like ha ha ha, and everybody's like clapping, <laughs> clapping Yang on the back and smiling to the camera. And yes, Even yes, as, as Schneider uh, in their un- Empire uniform, right, right, kind of like smiling in the background. And yes, as you said, like probably the best part of all is Bogdashu just like. You know, Logan, like, winking and pointing finger guns at the screen, like... Oh, it's such a dumb image. It's, it's so I good. It. It's fantastic. It's, uh... It, it's, it's this kind of episode that, you know... It's a great it's a great first episode to bring back the season. Yeah, um, You know, it's, uh... It, it's... 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 It brings back the important stuff we need to know. It, you know, it, it brings us back up to speed on what what has changed and what has stayed the same. You know, what what is the new status quo? But then it also gives us you know enough fun, exciting morsels to work with, and is generally pretty upbeat as far as if you know uh, episodes yeah. of this show in general go. So, you know, definitely, you know, it, it's definitely the kind of episode that's like, you know. Legend of the Galactic Heroes is back and better Ooh. than ever. But I, I, I can appreciate it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun just like getting back into that after the big like drama bomb of the end of season one and doing the podcast about that <laughs> and not really being sure what was coming up and then just seeing that episode and going, oh yep. Right back into it, Legend of the Heroes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's good to be back, you know. And uh, indeed, you know, we kind of needed this kind of more uh, uplifting episode to uh, 
keep our spirits high for you know the remaining two episodes <laughs> of this trio. Yeah, it's episode twenty-eight portraits, mm-hmm. uh, portraits specifically of the Empire admirals. It seems. Yeah. So uh, what Eero is talking about is that we we start off with Reinhard getting some uh. He's pardoning some guys for whatever's, and he's uh, getting some gifts, you know, getting offered right. paintings. Uh, Admiral Oppenheimer is all, I brought you this beautiful, amazing painting uh, from the famous artist. Uh, and Reinhardt just says, Mecklinger will know where to put this. Also, I'm arresting you for bribery. Yeah, Reinhardt does not like these paintings. <laughs> oh, Mecklinger is... Mecklinger probably appreciates art. Yeah, probably <laughs> that perv. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, and what like? Reinhardt's got two different adjutants in this episode. I yes, think? yes. So we we kind of we are treated to the revolving door of Reinhardt's adjutants as he gets increasingly irritated that literally nobody in the entire galaxy can replace Kirky Eyes. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, after arresting Oppenheimer for this painting business, he's just like, oh, why didn't you vet my interview? It was better. Ah. <laughs> my adjutants are incompetent. Uh, and yeah, just, we all miss Kirky eyes, I suppose. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. But anyways, let's move on to people who are still alive and still relevant to this show. Indeed. So, we get um, a little bit of a Mittermeier backstory yeah, in this episode. Mittermeier and Roenthal. Yeah, but we start off with Mittermeier, and we find out that uh, when he was just a lad, I guess his family uh, adopted some, like, the daughter of a family friend or, or something. So you know, a distant uh, relative of his mother or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. A little a girl named uh, Evangeline. Yes, Evangeline. And uh, like, you know, picture perfect, blonde hair, blue eyed. <laughs> yes, yes. Perfect and we can lady. Yes, uh, yes. She did. Sh- a picture of her showed up in the my client cousin the Sea of Stars movie. Towards the end, uh, yes, she did. Uh, and we, I'd like, I, 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 when we watched that, I was like, "Oh, this person's writing a letter to this to this girl." Yeah, I'm sure this is important later. Um, right, right. It's one of those little details that you know, having known nothing of the series at the time, you watch that movie and you're like, "All right, that's like a that's like a good sure like that's a narr- forward." <laughs> it's or, or it's it's a good narrative shorthand to communicate. Oh, this character has right. people. That he cares for, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, except like, just because for looks, I thought it was that per like I couldn't tell it was Mittermeier at the time. Uh, but like, just because of her looks, I thought it was like this person's daughter or something. Yeah, I initially assumed it was like a sister or like, you know, a closer relative because I said during this episode I was like, "Is this girl gonna call Mittermeier Onichan by the yeah. end of this episode?" <laughs> Uh, turns, turns out, turns uh, out the relationship is a is close of a different uh, of a different variety. Yeah, Mittermeier so is kinda, a married man. Yeah, so we kind of watch Mittermeier grow up, you know, 
join the military academy. Um, and eventually, and, and uh, well, but but before that, we we see that uh, we see how Mittermeier decided. You know what? I love Evangeline, <laughs> and we kind of see that Mittermeier is kind of this kind of fun goof. He's like. In a ways, he's kind of like Shenkop if Shenkop were way less suave, but still <laughs> roughly as well-meaning. Just barges into a flower shop. Right, he's just like, give me all the flowers! But wait, mm, maybe not all of them. That that would uh, seem ostentatious. No, uh, yeah, actually, half. Uh, also, <laughs> what flowers should I get, I guess? I'll yeah. And everyone's <laughs> just laughing at it. <laughs> it's very good, it's very good. You can tell that Mittermeier is a dude, like, again... Clearly a guy with a lot of love in his heart. Maybe doesn't always know exactly how to express it. And maybe yeah. doesn't think things through before he does. But he clearly means well. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a fun goof. A fun dude to hang around. Yeah. Uh, you know, Just, in, in uh, many ways, in many ways, you know, Mittermeier is that dude that, like, you really want to hang out with. You know, he's so fun to hang out with, he's so sociable, he's so likable, that you go you go you go get drinks with him even when you know that at the bar he's gonna be there with uh his friend, his good good buddy Royenthal. <laughs> Who like we the the uh, segue between Mittermeier's backstory and Royenthal's backstory is Royenthal showing up at Mittermeier's wedding and <laughs> kissing his bride. Like kissing the hand of of eventually. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's like, "Is that okay?" <laughs> well, it's not as not as uh, it's not as dangerous, or it's it's certainly not in that it, not going in that direction of implications as we fear. Oh, no, it's more of course, like it Mitter turns Meyer, out nice enough. It's just that Royenthal's kind of a dirtbag. <laughs> it turns out Royenthal is kind of a dick, uh, and not even like hilarious. a good one. We find out that Royenthal. Uh, has some serious hang-ups about women, yeah. or will allow him to explain explain in his own words. I I paraphrase here: the creature called woman was given life just to betray men. That's uh, it's so much. And we find out that Royanthal, you know, he's he's more of a pump and dump type. He uh he'll, he he goes through the ladies, you know, like tissue paper, and you know throws them out exactly like tissue paper. You know, he's uh, uh, in many ways. Uh, Royanthal is the uh, is perhaps he is like the dark enlightenment self insert character, the one, uh, pickup artist. Yes, yes, the, the, the pickup heroes. Exactly. You know, all those fucking creepy ass pickup artist subreddits. You know, may you know probably looking up to guys like Royanthal, be like, ah, oh, this is see Royanthal's an alpha male. He, get, he, he, gets, he gets it right. He gets he he understands. Under, Royanthal understands the true value of a woman. You know, is you're meant to enjoy them for their body, but but they provide no meaningful emotional companionship. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, we anyway. get his comically dramatic backstory. Yes, yes, we find out that about... Roydell hates women because of uh, he's a bastard child, or yes. uh, his his mother just married uh, <laughs> married his his father for his money. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Basically the story is that Royanthal's dad is like a is like a middle lower class merchant, but you know, makes a ton of money, new money type, basically. Yes. And then uh, you know, gets approached by, you know, an old family that's uh, gold digger. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, the loving relationship that clearly comes from that. Uh, yes, and uh, the, apparently the reason Royenthal has heterochromia is that he has the col- eye color of his mother and of her lover, dun, not dun, his father. Because, <laughs> you know, that's how heterochromia works. Yep, and uh, so her mother, uh, as, as this is revealed, it also says that his, his mother killed herself. Yes, and, and his father turned to drink and constantly told him, "I wish you'd never been born." Again, it's I oh, comically overwrought. It's so over the top; it's impossible to t- to take seriously. Like uh, again, if yes. I did not know better, I would almost assume this is Legend of the Galactic Heroes doing this as a comical bit. Right? Like, it's so funny. It's so absurd. It's, it's impossible to take seriously. But like half the stuff on the Empire side, this is kind of overwrought space. Right, opera. it's there's it's always so... been this kind of like weird reality disconnect whenever we go to the Empire side of things. Like every time we watch an FPA episode, you know, it's like, oh yes, right, democracy is fucked, everything is falling apart. These very real issues that for some tragic reason continue to reverberate twenty years <laughs> later. But then we watch the Empire episodes, and, and it's, it's like, like you're watching like Victorian, right? <laughs> it's like it's like the crazy <laughs> Countess the wants to drama. kill <laughs> Reinhardt's sister. The the, uh, the the Phantom of the Opera is uh, here to the, kidnap you. The former consort is yes. causing wake, you know, making waves among the noble court. Yeah, it's you know, freaking oh the, you know, the bastard child of a noble family. You know, it's 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 so absurd. Oh, but, but so fun. But yes, so so fun. But Besides I guess that, we're kind of you know I guess we're kind of given this backstory because, for better or worse, I'm sure Legend of the Galactic Heroes has now realized, oh shit, without Kirky eyes, there's not a whole ton of likable characters left <laughs> on the Empire side. Like, yeah, I think as we all spoke of in our prior season finale podcast, we're we are all deeply interested in Reinhardt. Like Reinhardt is without a doubt one of the most interesting characters, you know, we've we've maybe ever seen in fiction, but he's not likable. He's not sympathetic. Right. He's certainly not anymore, you know. Yeah. And so but so, by showing us Mittermeier's like cute, adorable awkwardness and that he loves his wife, we and, and, and we kind of we, we kind of have that like fun contrasting like like he's best friends with maybe like if if if, if not for Oberstein the actual biggest asshole in <laughs> Reinhardt's cabinet. But again, like but it, creates so, funny, it creates a fun odd couple type yes, of thing. Yes, totally. Like they were already those two guys before this flashback episode, and this kind of just uh, solidif- solidifies that for us. You know, it's it very much is totally that social dynamic of, you know, like the way I kind of headcan it, it is like everybody wants to hang out with Mittermeier, right? Because Mittermeier, he's, you know, he's, he's the star quarterback. He's a little goofy, but he's not a dick about it. You know, like mm-hmm. he's, he's he's the star quarterback. But you also know that, like, he would like probably hang out with like the nerds, too. You know, yes. like he's like that dude. He'd probably get along with them as well. But the thing is that, like. Mittermeier is too nice, which means he's even friends with guys like Royenthal. Even as Royenthal says shit like, you know, like, I hope you're happy with your wife, but she's a woman. And don't ever forget 
that marriage is a sham and that women only exist to physically pleasure men. Uh, Meyer is like that dude who just like, you know, takes a sip from his beer oh, and yeah. slaps Ranthal on the back. Ah, Ranthal, you joker. That's a good one. And like, you know, at the table is probably like Fahrenheit and Bittenfield and like Mecklinger all kind of like chuckling nervously. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, right, so uh, Mittermeier, tell us something cool that happened to you recently. Well, uh, I just talked with <laughs> – I just talked with uh, Admiral Hilmer von Shaft and his giant mustache. Yes, yes. Uh, we turns out we meet uh, Admiral Shaft, who is also kind of a couple of his own kind between him and his absurdly luxurious <laughs> mustache. Uh, this dude walked right out of, like, a Fire Emblem game. <laughs> I know, right? Like, this dude is totally, would like... He be the... a Chapter 4 mid-boss, or he just right? has a big axe, or yes, whatever. Yes, yes. Like, I, he is literally, like, every fucking, like, yeah, yeah, like, Chapter 4 Fire Emblem, like, <laughs> knight mid-boss. Oh, you know. he's got an axe. Well, let me teach you about the weapon try. Right, right. He'll, he'll be a knight, he'll have, and he'll have, like, an axe and a and a, and a throwing axe, so, like, teaching you about ranges. And uh, he'll also be, like, the one sitting on, like, the fort door. So, like, uh, you can, like, continuously, like, pelt at him and, like, not take down all of his HP and grind your support conversations. Indeed. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, Shaft is here because he has... He's like head of science technology or something. Yes, yes, and as the empire's foremost scientist, he has a an ingenious plan to defeat the uh, FBA. And his well, plan, yeah. you know, these are alone fortress. We'll move our own fortress in front of it. Yes, essentially, we find out that Shaft uh, co-wrote this plan with uh, one P starfish. Uh, because this plan is essentially straight out of that one fucking episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, where essentially Shaft is like, "Why don't we just move our fortress from over here to right next to Izerlone?" <laughs> and uh, Reinhard, we'll just strap a bunch of engines to Geiersburg and fly it over there. Yeah, and. <laughs> And and what and and Reinhard, you know, being the uh, the the omniscient, you know, the omniscient benevolent god king, he is kind of just slowly nods and goes, "Hmm, sure. yes, it yes, like that'll work." Yeah. Like, here's the thing: that's the thing that actually worries me the most about about this plan. Like, if Reinhard looked at this plan and was like, "You're a fucking fool," but go for it anyways, I'd be like, "Oh boy, this is gonna be fun to watch." <laughs> but because Reinhard's like, actually, no. I think this plane. I think this plane's a great idea. I'm sure. like, oh shit, are they actually gonna pull this off? <laughs> Some fucking real Looney Tunes ass science. And uh, when he, Reinhardt puts uh, Admiral, what Admiral Kempf, Kempf. Gustav Kempf, yes. and Neithart Mueller, yes, in charge. Yes, and they apparently kind of- Oberstein's uh, suggestion. Uh, yes, yes, Oberstein recommended these men for the job. Uh, a, a, a minor side note, Kempf was the admiral from the previous battle, the one who wigged out at the thought okay. of uh, Jan I forgot, I forgot about um, that, going apeshit on him. We get a, we get a, you know, we don't get a Mittermeier or Royenthal tier right. backstory about him, but essentially they just say, Kempf, age 36, 
He is a stern but righteous man. <laughs> yeah. Something, which... When Mueller's like, ah, oh, he's young and inexperienced, but highly diligent. Yes. Or something like that. I mean, essentially, these two dudes get described as if they were also Fire Emblem mid-bosses. <laughs> like... <laughs> yes. I, I am pretty sure a... <sighs> A stern but righteous man has probably been used to describe a Fire Emblem mid-boss I'm at sure. one time or another in that series' history. Yeah. But, we basically uh, get told Oberstein recommend these two because he doesn't want Mittermeier and Royenthal to become too distinguished. Yeah. Because they're already, after Kirkyai's passed, they're already basically the number two. Yeah, I mean, we, together, kinda like, we even kind of talked about this in the season finale podcast where... Mittermeier and Royanthal are kind of the ones who pick up the pieces right after Kirky Eyes gets killed. You know, they're the ones who get the admirals together. Right. They're the ones who are kind of like, all right, dudes, what do we what do we do about this shit? So they're kind of already positioned, you know, to to become that for Reinhard. Mm -hmm. So that is yeah. actually the aspect that does make me wonder if this plan will actually work or not. Because I mean, obviously Oberstein, it's better for Oberstein generally if the Empire succeeds. But now I'm kind of curious, like, they haven't been, they're not being pulled very strongly at this point, and I wonder if that's because they're saving these plot threads for, you know, much, much later in this show. But this kind of idea of Oberstein and Reinhardt and even the other admirals all kind of, kind of pulling their own, you know, political strings, you know, to, to further their own, like, you know, you know, yes, we are all aligned in roughly the same direction. We want to take over the FPA. We want to make Reinhardt happy. But how we get there and how that affects us individually... It's potentially I, I, very different. Yes, I, I think that Reinhardt's cabinet very much do not see eye to eye on that yet. And we kind of get a little bit of a conversation about that where... Uh, <laughs> Some of the aforementioned admirals I mentioned, Reinthal and Mittermeier and uh, Bittenfield and... Was it Fahrenheit? No. Um, no, it was uh, the other one. The other one with gray hair. I don't know his name. Oh my god. Every fucking time. Every fucking uh, time with that guy. We'd have to open up our old notes, but let's not do that in the middle of a podcast. So, they're kind of having a conversation about this all. And then, you know, I think it's uh, one of them, the, the one I can't remember his name of. He brings yep. up the... Uh, uh, Overstein picked up a stray dog, straight Dalmatian. And it turns he out... He goes to buy a food in the middle of the night. Because it turns out Overstein's one redeeming trait is he loves dogs. Yep, oh, you I'm know sure who else? such a nice guy. <laughs> you know who else dogs. loved dogs? Hitler loved dogs. <laughs> so you know what? Uh... You know what? Think about that for a while before you go exonerating Oberstein of all prior actions just because he takes care of a cute dog. <laughs> but, this uh, great line from Bittenfield. Uh, yeah, we're fucking like, Bittenfield. Turns uh, out, uh, like uh, even though even though Oberstein is hated by everyone, he's loved by a dog. I guess they hit it off because they're both dogs. Yeah. They just count this champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking! I was I I I was literally out uh, loud. I was like, it. "Damn, Bittenfield, fucking uh, spitting hot fire!" Right? Maybe I might have to change Bittenfield's nickname from Bittenfield rhymes with Garfield to fucking Bittenfield 
you know, fucking king of the disc game. Because uh, he, he's, uh, you know, again, yeah, again, we don't know, you know, his, his acumen as an actual tactician in the field of battle leaves a little to be, des- you know, desired, but... But he's talking shit about Overstein. Yes, and, and, and he's talking pretty good shit on Overstein, too, so, you know, I can't help but respect it, you know, game, respect, game. Indeed. Uh, but, sure. uh, and this episode finally ends yeah. with a conversation between... Um, uh, Reinhard and uh, what was it? Shit, Hilda, I feel right? terrible. Hilda, yes, Hilda. You know, basically, they're kind of talking. About, I think. I, th- I think by this point, Reinhard has switched to a new adjutant. Yes, I believe so. Yes, and uh, you know they're discussing plans. Yeah, and, and uh, Hilda's basically saying, um, like moving Geiersberg is a bad idea. Um, like it's there's no profit in it for us to like send to chase like chase this plan and send our troops after this right she you know she's basically saying that like we're at peace like things are better than ever like yeah you know she's recovering from all the loops that stuff yeah and she's it's not even a case of you know she's anti-war or anything it's just look at the be practical about this. We just fought a war. We just fought a civil war. You know, we, you know, the people need time to, to recover. You know, we, we need time for our troops to recover. And Reinhardt kind of gives some real faulty logic here of like, I will bend to nobody. Nobody right. tells me I what to do. To power. I'm Reinhardt. <laughs> it's me. I'm Reinhardt from the war grab. And you know what? I think I, I, perhaps we'll you know maybe maybe we'll look back on this moment but i have a bit of speculation here that we might be beginning to see the beginning of uh of a new uh character quirk for reinhard and i think that is uh i think he's going to become something of a blood knight i think i think we might find out that reinhard kind of needs to sustain his soul on conquest right like Reinhard, of course. Like Reinhard wants to be the God Emperor. He wants to be the God Emperor that is beloved by his people. You know that that you know he makes his people happy. But I think Reinhard is also like deep down, he gets bored by making people happy through the boring ways. I think. The I think only he wants way to, to be, fill that thirst in his heart is through battle. Right. I think he wants to be a conquering king, and I think right. Like when he speaks that thirst in his heart, you know. That now that Kirkyais is gone, you know, will Yang Wen Li be able to sate it? Like, th- kind of think about it, right? Like, you don't have to go after Izerlone. I mean, I guess you kind of do. It's the primary bulwark now. But yeah, I think that if you're a guy yeah. like, I think it's more that if you're a guy like Reinhardt, there are a, probably a million other ways to screw over the FPA. You know, like yeah. it's not like they need much help with it. But I think. Reinhardt is specifically okaying this plan because it's going to take him to Iserlone and it's going to take him to Yangwen Li. And I think that's what he's actually like. He won't admit it to anybody. He might not even admit it to himself, but I think he's itching for a fight that he doesn't even necessarily need to fight, need to fight. Not yet anyways, because deep down, it's kind of all he knows how to do. It's all he's like, yeah, what what else is he going to do if not go do this? Is he going to just spin his wheels for a while? Right. Like, I mean, it's for better or worse, it's the thing of 
what do we always hear about Young? Young, when when this war is up, is over, Young wants to go back to his history books. He wants to be a researcher, a, a historian, an have, academic. Wants to not have this war. Like. Right, but it's it's not even that it's not even about winning the war. It's more about creating peace so that he can go do other things. Yeah, and what's I think that's actually Reinhardt's end game in this. Right, like, like Reinhardt doesn't have an end game. Reinhardt doesn't have hobbies. Like think about it. Like Reinhardt's hobby is war. It's it's battle. Yep. He, he was he doesn't, ten years old. Like yeah, he like knows. he doesn't have anything else. He doesn't have a hobby. He doesn't you know he doesn't you know crochet or go horseback riding or whatever it is <laughs> shitty nobles do. Like, you know, fighting is all he knows, and I wonder. Doesn't even want to go to parties. Yeah, he hates parties. He especially <laughs> hates parties that are thrown by that dumb fathead Braunschweig. <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, I think I think I, I guess. Look, this could just ne- next season finale when 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 the next when the set when season two finale ends with Reinhard like putting down his sword and proudly declaring he will never fight a war ever again hmm. and abstaining from the throne and and the newly introduced character actually becomes the new primary character of the <laughs> empire i will happily eat crow and be like wow i guess i really did not see that coming but i think that maybe his talk here with hilda is like him verbally justifying Maybe a patho a, a, a patho a pathological need that will only grow stronger as as this show continues. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I guess at the very end, related to all that, is it shoot? Is it this episode or the next episode where uh, Hilda goes to? Uh, that's oh, next. Episode, I think that's next episode. My bad. Okay, so in that case, uh, that's it for episode twenty eight. Yeah, <laughs> Let's move on to episode twenty nine. Uh, we haven't mentioned what Fezzan's been up to the past couple episodes. Yes, but they uh, have been uh, they've been Fezzaning it up. The rest is oh, yeah. like uh, they've straight been... up got agents in both sides. And yep. But this episode opens with <laughs> a dude from the Earth Cult. Oh my god, this is maybe the best. The Earth Cult is just a gift that keeps on giving in terms of like visual so visual gags. Uh, like there's a ton- bunch of people in the waiting room waiting for their meetings with you know. The Landisher of Fezan, Adrian Rubinsky, and then this man in a black kid's black robe and a mysterious necklace just uh, sits down in the meeting room, and everyone's just like, "What? What's with this guy? Why is there a weird priest here?" But also, he gets to go to the front of the line. It's so good because it's not even like it's not even a case of like in some fiction or in some media where the cultists wear normal clothes in their day to day, right? No, but then, but then, but then when they robe. yeah, he he's going in there in the robes like what a power move! Like goddamn, the the Earth cult must have way more influence than we previously assumed. If they're fucking, you know. Emperor Emperor Palpatine ass fucking priests can just walk in yeah. walk into whatever building they wish and incur no consequence whatsoever. But anyway, so we uh Bishop Degsby just yes. uh, meets with Agent Urbinski. Yeah, yeah, a, a bishop of North Pole. Yeah. Be like, hey, uh, you're still furthering our interests, aren't you? Don't right. forget who put you in charge, Rubinsky. It was right. us. The Earth Cult. It's it's very good. Yes, uh, we, you know, they they talk of you know they talk of the things that Fazan tend to talk of, which is mainly 
you know, fucking over the Empire and the FPA. Right, well, although nowadays, uh, Fazan's plan now is... That yeah, Fazan's Empire, plans. Empire made it out of the double coup uh, way more, way better than the uh, FPA. Yes. So now their plan is basically to back the Empire and uh, allow the Empire to fully consolidate the galaxy under themselves. Yes. And then maybe kill Reinhardt. And right. then, then Fizan will have control over all. Right. Of so the, the thing that the thing that we want to state here is what what Eero you just talked about is actually that this is this is specifically what is on paper Fizan's plan. Right. Fizan's on plan paper. is that the FPA is too weak to keep propping up. We might as well just kill them. Then you know if we're you know if we're lucky, we as Fizan will. Basically, with them out of the power, we will we will naturally fill that vacuum, and then once we you know take care of that you know f- foolish boy emperor that we clearly will have no trouble at all dealing with, you yep. know, then then Fazan will control everything. But this is Fazan's plan. This is not Adrian Rubinsky's plan, and yeah. I think this is kind of where this is kind of where for me Fazan gets really interesting. Yeah. I, again, not necessarily. Rubinsky's gone up a few slots in my character ranking from this episode. Yeah, uh, Rubinsky fucking dropping some lines, you know, some almost young tier lines in this episode <laughs> about like you know how zealotry you know almost killed the world once, and how you know religious right. dogma is like you know the quickest way to you know. <laughs> To torpedo uh, your own, you know, yeah. your own plot. After the uh, bishop leaves, like, saying, ah, don't forget who put you in power, Rubinsky. You know, like, yeah, starts yeah. talking kid, and like, oh, man, just pouring himself a drink. These fanatics are real hard to deal with. Yeah, They've got yeah. no enjoyment in their lives. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely an aspect of Rubinsky that I'm kind of glad. I'm I'm actually really glad we're getting this now because, right? So far, he's know. been so far he's just been like, ah, ha, 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 ha. the 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 FBI and the Empire will tire themselves out, and soon Fazan will rise to power. Like, right, we, like we the ma- we just need to manage them. Yeah, I mean, I think the primary. I mean, you know, even more to its core, the problem with Fazan was that. Fazan was just, you know, they were literally they had no motives or anything. Right, no, like, they were they were literally, you know, just as Keikaku the faction. <laughs> you know, like it's just every episode where Fazan shows up is just Rubensky being like, just as planned. Like, well, what did you plan? What was what do you what do you mean just as planned? What 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 plan? You <laughs> yep. and you'd be like and they wouldn't elaborate, it would just be like the plans coming together. Love you, know, you, just, you just got you, you just gotta you know you just gotta you just gotta have faith you just gotta trust the plan and now we're finally seeing some of rubinsky's own personal yeah he basically like like the earth cult's plan is basically like take down everyone and then the earth cults will be masters of all but rubinsky's like that's not good because if we like there's so much reform going on and if we take down everything there's just going to be chaos and it's going to take tons of time tons of effort tons of resources just to contain the chaos that will result the thing that the thing that rubinsky i think understands is that some chaos is good 
but too much chaos is is unprofitable. You know, essentially, you need to, you need to you need to stir the pot just enough that people are coming to you for your support and your influence. But if you tip the pot over, like now you, you just made a mess. Now you've just made a mess, essentially, and that's and basically that's what the Earth Cult is trying to do. They're trying to yep. tip the pot over. Whereas I think Rubinsky, like I think Rubinsky has a more canny understanding of the actual stakes at play here. He gets that. Yeah. Actually, no, you idiots. Like if we kill the FPA, then if we allow these like fanatical doctrinists to become go in charge. It's not going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great line here. He says, I remember the Crusades. There was a time where Christians suppressed and mercilessly killed people of other religions. I won't uh, let such hideous barbarism be repeated. Yeah. Uh, and I lost. <laughs> yeah, Rubinsky is, uh, again, I, I'm not going to say I sympathize or root for Rubinsky, but no. definitely a much more interesting character now. Uh, but uh, we, we're, we'll return to Rubinsky perhaps later in the episode, but instead we, uh, we kind of switch gears to Julian, who has yeah. now been, for his actions at that battle, has been promoted to Master Sergeant. All right, but of course we beat him as he's cooking a big pot of soup or yes, something. Yes, yes, and, and we have we have <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we have this fantastic flashback uh, where Julian re- reminisces on how he met his uh, his venerated mentor for the first time, and we get this great flashback of fucking the door opening to just adorable baby Julian, you know, freaking <laughs> eight years old, twelve years old, fucking whatever. whatever. Yeah. And he's just hey, are like, you, are you Yang Wen Lee? And we get we, we cut to fucking Yang Wen Lee toothbrush in, in mouth, in his, fucking in his like pajamas, like like bleary eyed, no clue what is going uh, on. Coming, I guess. And uh, there's also and, a good bit here, because so yeah, Julian's been promoted, and Frederica yeah. calls him up to tell him he's been promoted. He goes to salute and realizes he's holding his ladle in his saluting <laughs> yeah. hand. And has to switch switch his hand. <laughs> it's very good. It's those kind of it's those those little like Tomino esque animated moments, you know, mm-hmm. where like characters do things that like feel realistic, like they they make mistakes in the way real people do, yeah. instead of just like being animated perfectly to uh, to carry out the action. But uh, but yeah, so unfortunately, you know, we kind of move on next to uh to uh, Henslow, the uh, FPA liaison on Fazan, right. and he's he's sweating bullets because the FPA yes, is in very debt. Goofy, uh, like Japanese salaryman stereotype. Yeah, this um, motherfucker. Um, I must constantly hide my sweat because I'm stressed out. Right. <laughs> like again, let, let me remind you that this person, Mister Henslow, you know, Japanese salaryman wiping his sweat because he's nervous about his meeting with Fazan because his country owes way too much debt, exists in the same setting as the man who has heterochromia because his mother cheated on... His mother, the countess. Yes, his countess cheated on her husband and then killed herself in shame. And that is why Royanthel hates women and has different colored eyes. Again, th- these people exist in the same it's galaxy. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. It's fantastic. But yeah. Uh, FPA is in a lot of debt, basically. And mm-hmm. um, Fazan's basically saying, you're not good for the money unless you're a true, proper dem- democracy. 
or something like something along these lines. Essentially, like, you need to have political stability in the FPA. Uh, right, and the thing this is where we kind of get the beginning of some real insidious plots by the Fizan. And maybe the kind of frustrating aspect for me of is literally everybody in in the FPA who is not in direct contact with Yang just a fucking shitty, incompetent asshole. Because essentially what Fazan, you know, tells uh, um, Henslow is, I wouldn't really call you guys stable. I mean, how can you call yourselves self-stable when you have somebody who's uh, clearly angling to uh, become a dictator. Yeah. And of course, Henslow's like, uh, wh- wh- what do you mean, who? And then he's like, well, I'm talking about your national hero, Yang Wenli. Uh, and Henslow's means- like, oh, well, Yang, no, he, 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 saved, he saved the FPA. And he's like, or did he? Uh, he didn't need to destroy the entire Artemis necklace. Right, and it's like, it's he this... Did. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, it's it's laying the foundation of of uh, of doubt within the FPA leadership about Yang, that I think yeah. is going to have some like very like unpleasant. dark and yeah. unpleasant side effects from here on out. You know, this idea that like the FPA government may grow to increasingly fear Yang, and in the same way that Oberstein purposely assigned other admirals to uh, Shaft's plan. Mm-hmm. My my fear is that the FPA may eventually like pull Yang from vital battles because they don't want him to gain more influence. Right, right. Like, and it's of course that kind of fucked up thing where it's like, of course, anybody who's ever met Yang is like, what? Right. Yang? No, of course not. He- there's a there's a version of the story where we don't we like where we there's there's a version of the story where there's ambiguity if Yang actually does want to take power, but like we we know we know we see we have seen Yang's character. We know there's no possible version of reality where Yang Wenli would ever do this. Yes, like literally, absolutely zero. Like the like, it would never happen. But unfortunately, the FPA apparently believe it but might. S- but you see so. how it could in another world. Totally, and totally. So, I mean, and so again, that's the that's the scheme, right? Yeah, like, I mean, again, it's it's an effective scheme. Don't get me wrong, like. It's an effective scheme. It's it's a, it's a scheme that hinges on both Fazan correctly capitalizing on the FPA's insecurities, but it also capitalizes on the fact that the FPA is just kind of incompetent, or continues to be kind of woefully bad at their jobs. I mean, Indeed. I don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, we 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 kind of leave things on that kind of somber note because. Uh, to celebrate uh, Julian's promotion, uh, yeah. we're having dinner at the Castlenew household. Uh, this is actually this, this. I feel like this is one of my favorite scenes in the entire show so far. Yeah, to be honest, this, like yeah, because it's kind of just Yong and Castlenew sniping at each other for, for five minutes, uh, just, just talking shit at each other. Yes, it's maybe one of my favorite conversations in this whole in this in this whole show. Yeah. Yeah, it's just great. Um, where they meet and like, uh, you know, give Young shit that he's still a bachelor, <laughs> and you know, Young's like, well, plenty of bachelors have contributed to society. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I didn't. I didn't grow over thirty on purpose. 
Right, right. Yes, there's a there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of good back and forth between Kazelnu and and Young. Very humanizing Young, I think. Yeah, and it's like, not that he wasn't already kind of relatable, but uh, I found this scene especially relatable. I think it finally gave me like a really closer handle on Young as a character. Yeah. Um, Specifically, uh, there's a conversation he has with Kazanu while they're playing, like, Super 3D chess yeah. or something. Um, some fucking fourth-dimensional chess or some shit. Yeah, and Kazanu basically tells him that he needs to take better care of himself because, like, he's too lax with his personal safety for someone of his station. Which we've seen, of course, like, he gave his sidearm to Bagdashu. Yeah. Super shady Bagdashu. And- and the thing is that, like, Kazanu's not wrong. I mean, look how easily Kubersley got nearly assassinated. Right. Like, and, and look at the and look at the reverberating effects of that. Like, I, you know, who could say if, Kuber, if, if had Kubersley stayed in power, if he could have, you know, kept the FPA in one piece, but, like, it probably would have helped if he hadn't been shot, you know? Indeed. Like... Like it's it's definitely it's it's a, it's a really fascinating conversation because essentially it's a debate between like free will and like the idea of like the obligation of uh, the responsibility and obligation of leadership. Yeah, you know and this idea that like yeah. once you're a public figure, once you're a figure in leadership, you know, in, in a place of leadership, once your life, once your life has a di- a direct influence on the lives of others. Is it your responsibility then to be, if not 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 more selfish, but more like concerned about yourself as an actual entity? Yeah, um, and just on a closer note to Yang, Kazunu says like Kazunu brings this up, and Yang kind of brushes it off as like, oh well, if I paid that much close attention. I wouldn't be able to take my afternoon naps. <laughs> but there's a thing Kazanu says where he says, um, you, you, like, Yang, you understand it. Like, you understand the importance of this, but you just don't want to think about it. Yes. And I think that, like, that statement, I feel like, made a lot of things click for me for understanding Yang. Because uh, it's something I found very relatable right. with Yang, where... He knows all of this responsibility he has to take, but also because he doesn't want to deal with himself. And so that's part of why he – like this is just the sense that I got personally. But like he doesn't want to have to make these decisions. And so he keeps he keeps people around where he can ask what they think and then do what they say, if that makes sense. So it's, so it's like a couple episodes ago, even though, yeah, like we know that Yang would have sent all those reinforcements, but he feels the need to call the round table or whatever, ask everyone their opinion, even if it parrots his own, then just on a like very personal level, because Mercats, you know, is, is giving him good advice to send everything out. He can say, yes, we'll do that. And we'll follow what he says. And this is something I feel like Yang has been doing almost the entire show yeah. so far is like, uh, he, uh, I, 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 wait. Such a way that almost absolves him of responsibility. He spreads it out. He, yeah. 
it, it, he is. It, I mean, in in every way, I think I, I'm really glad you came to this uh, to this realization, Eero, because I think it also helped me kind of better understand Yang as a character. It, like beyond just like what we love him for, he needs think, co- he needs competent number twos because he he would not be able to function on his own. Right, like in many ways, this is in both. Like this is. This is the depth of Yang's character. This is these are his weaknesses. These are the things that flesh him out. Is that yeah. Yang is truly thematically in every way Reinhardt's opposite. He's so I think, passive. Yes, and I think this episode, um, you know, what what I think the 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 revelation you arrived at is he is Yang's. I mean, he is Reinhardt's opposite in every way, both good and bad. I think, like, yeah. I mean, okay, like, okay, we're never gonna say Yang is like as bad as Reinhardt. Yang's not fucking killing <laughs> kids, but I think here's the thing, right? Like, we we love Yang. We say, oh, Yang, he's so competent, he's so great. But I think this conversation kind of helped me realize, oh wait, there probably is a better version of Yang. Like, like the version of Yang we have in Legend of the Galactic Heroes is actually maybe maybe more flawed and more compromised than we initially assumed. I don't know if Yang, like, Yang, I don't know if he can make a choice on his own. Like, he needs to, <laughs> he needs to be pushed into those situations. Like, he's reactive. Yeah, he's he's reactive. That's exactly what You know, like, 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 when, like, we can, at the end sorry, of alone, At the end of Ezer alone, when, after it was captured, and, you know, the Imperial Fleet's coming in, and he, he gives them the warning of if you keep coming, I'll shoot, basically. And like he could have fired a warning shot himself or aimed for a flank or something. And obviously we think of Yang as he would never do that, he would never waste human lives intentionally. And while that's also while that's true, at the same time, like he waited till the very last moment. It know? was And not necessarily in a good not necessarily in a good way. Right. He it's... can he framed it in such a way he entered the situation in such a way where it became the fault of the Imperial Admiral who kept going yes. and not his, not his fault for firing. You know, I think it's, it's a case of young, young doesn't like taking responsibility. He, li- he wants to push responsibility to others. Yes. Like he wants, he wants to push these kind of decisions to other people. He's the one who, like, like it, it totally is a case of like young is the person who like, you know, he he hands you the gun and he's like, "Okay, are you gonna shoot me or not?" And then it's only if, and then if 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 the person who just handed a gun to tries to shoot him, that's when he shoots back, because then he can say, "Well, he was about to shoot me. I had to, you know, he left me no choice. I had to fight back." And and yeah. I don't think either of, either of us are saying, "Oh, Young is like has has some pathological like you know." weakness in his mind where like he's a coward he's too afraid to pull no, the trigger but i think it's that, but, it, but at its at his core yeah. yang is the kind of person who he doesn't feel comfortable taking control of a situation he yeah in many ways he likes reacting to the situation it it removes responsibility from what he has to do yes you know if you because, just react like then you don't have to go and do things you know right but but the thing is that even but obviously young isn't apathetic right young isn't doing nothing it's just that when he finally does start doing things when young does become active when he becomes proactive it's always proactive in reaction to yeah 
uh, and I'm the just, circumstances. I'm just terrified that it'll be too late one time, you know? Like, And I think you're not wrong, because... Or it'll be pushed into a situation that is unavoidable, he, he and will, what could have been avoided if he was just a little more proactive. Yes, yes, he will keep letting himself get pushed until... And I think this is why I want to return to this conversation. He will keep getting pushed until there is no room left to be pushed. Yes. And um, that is because uh, we return to uh, we return to Fazan, where uh, we once again talk with Rubinsky about uh, what his actual plan is, what his true what is what his true plan is for dealing with the FPA and the Empire. And his idea is that. Who is the one man? Who is the one man in this entire galaxy who is Reinhardt's equal? Who could hope to put a stop to Reinhardt? <laughs> and that's none other than Yang Wenli. But yeah. not the Yang Wenli we have now. The Yang Wenli we have now doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the authority. Yang Wenli right now commands one fleet versus Reinhardt who commands an entire nation. The Yang Wenli we have now might not be able to stop Reinhardt, but but a Yang Wen Li that because of the you know continuously growing dire direness of the situation, a Yang yeah. Wen Li who is forced to yeah. become the supreme leader and take control of the entire FPA, now that is a Yang Wen Li that might that might give Reinhardt the good yeah. fight. And Zahn has created a situation where they've both set up the, the FPA brass to think the Yang Wenli is trying to take all their power while simultaneously back in the Empire to an extent where the FPA can't get rid of Yang Wenli because he's the only person who could right. possibly stand up to the Empire's might. Right. So, I mean, Rubinsky is purposely creating a situation. He's purposely trying to engineer Yang's autocratic rise to power, rise to power. Yeah. yes like in many ways in many ways like almost like oberstein i think rubinsky is trying to play kingmaker he's tr he's trying to put who he believes will be the best possible rulers for each nation but whereas oberstein is doing that purely in you know purely for the gain of the empire you know rubinsky is doing it to benefit fazan in the end but it's it's you know there's that great line right about like how yang is on a tightrope and he's like on, he's on a thread, he's always on, on a thread. Line. He's balancing on a thread, and like you know, I think this episode's eponymous one narrow thread, right? And 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 then of course it is asked like, all right, what are you going to cut the thread? And I kind of love that Rubinsky says, no, no, we're we're not going to cut the thread. That would be foolish. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna tighten it. We're gonna yeah. narrow it. You know, we're gonna remove strand by strand. Until Yang has nowhere left to go but either become the ruler the FPA needs or, or die. his own self-destruction. And as you said, Hero, as you said, you know, what, yeah, about what terrifies you about Yang's like intrinsic personality is <sighs> which, which direction will Yang take and... Yep. Frankly, neither of them are good. Indeed. <laughs> um, yep. But I kind of love it. I, I do love it in the sense of, like, bravo, Fazan. I, I, I kept giving you shit for, you know, oh, Fazan, better <laughs> Fazan. Yep. But 
you upon revealing at least you know a portion of your grand plan i am truly impressed i i i i knew that you were going to play the fpa the the fpa and the empire against each other i did not think you would do it in such a fucking magnificent manner and i for better or worse i truly cannot wait to see yeah how this all develops um indeed and just as a brief note at the very end uh we have a yeah. uh, reinhardt still being you know fucking cold as hell you know uh he says uh you know i think hilda is once again talking to to reinhardt and he's like i think she's like well, well what happens if kemp you know kemp fails right like what if what if this whole plan fails and then reinhardt's just like and if he dies then kemp too is just that kind of man and uh it's it really says something that like i feel like i don't we never really saw reinhardt use his other admirals that much but at least the way he treated kirky eyes it very much felt like of course reinhardt reinhardt is a much colder admiral a much much colder tactician than than young you know reinhardt is definitely the dude who doesn't mind you know taking losses to win the war but he's not wasteful about it not usually Right, he, but this he, but this plan to move Garsberg and send all all these troops is kind of wasteful. It's kind of wasteful, and it's kind of a gamble. And he's kind of treating the people involved as you know as uh, as playing pieces, as tools, you know. Hard. Yeah, and I, this part really emphasizes just how much Reinhardt needed someone like Kirky Eyes. Yeah, we've got Hilda straight up thinking back to Kirky Eyes. I mean, not just Hilda straight up thinking back to Kirky Eyes. They go full, they go all the way with his metaphor with fucking Hilda visiting Kirky Eyes' grave. And be like, oh, Kirky Eyes. Only you could temper his severity and peril. Yeah, yeah, it's... uh, I wonder how many more times we're going to... What should those who are alive do? In such yeah, a yeah. I wonder how many more times, how many times pe- different people are going to be visiting Kirky Eyes' grave and being, yeah. oh, Kirky Eyes, what would you do if you were here? What would you do, Kirky Eyes? Yes, what would Kirky Eyes do? What would Kirky Eyes do? <laughs> what would Sigrid Kirky Eyes do? Yeah, get those t shirts made. WWKD. Yeah, but, uh,. And yeah, and so that episode kind of ends with uh, yeah. a lot of pieces in play, and yeah, we're setting setting up season two. We're yeah, yeah, this this first three se- uh, episodes, I think, do a fantastic job of setting up uh, the kind of the new uh, uh, the new status quo. Like yeah. the war has changed; these countries have changed. Some things have stayed the same. Some things never change. For example, <laughs> Job Trunick's still fucking hanging around. Oh, yeah. He's we, didn't even, we didn't even really talk about him much, but rest assured, that slimy creep is, yep. you know, still, still hanging around. Slimy creep. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know what? It says something we didn't even mention. Yeah, we got another like... scene with him in his office looking at his three fucking portraits of himself. His fucking three portraits. His three portraits. Yeah. Uh,. There's but, uh, also the yeah when Young's talking to Kazanu and Kazanu's like, okay, now don't tell anyone, but I'm really suspicious about this job Trunix guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Young's just kind of like, oh really? I see. 
Yeah, yeah. As, you know, as if I hadn't also been able to figure out that Job Trunick is literally the slimiest motherfucker in this entire show. Uh, yeah. Man. But, uh, you know, yeah, like, you know, gr- a, a great trio of episodes for, you know, setting up kind of where season two's plot is going. You know, I don't know if necessarily this plot line right now will be what all of season two is about, but, you know, or if it'll be kind of like a smaller arc in the same way, you know, Armlitzer or the Civil War were. But either way, I'm super interested in where things are going. Yeah. Um, you we're know, back. we got, we, you know, <laughs> back. yeah, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is back. It's better than ever. Um, and uh, I think with that, you know, on that note, I think we're going to call this a podcast. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's, let's take care of some uh, housekeeping. So as always, you can listen to the podcast and read the rest of our lovely content on theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. Uh, you can... Check us out on YouTube. If you just Google the Glorio blog YouTube, we still don't have a URL. We're just chugging along. But hey, y'all keep smashing that like and subscribe button. And, you know, maybe one day we can say you'll go to YouTube slash the Glorio blog. Or, <laughs> or I don't know, maybe maybe by that point, the Glorio Heroes branding will have eclipsed everything else. And, well, maybe. You know, we'll have to, that'll have to be our actual URL. Who knows? Uh, what else? You can also listen to the podcast on iTunes and Podbean and wherever else uh, podcasts whatever, are. Wherever uh, else aggregates RSS feeds. Yes, yes, are, are made and stored. Uh, let's see. Can what watch else? Watch The Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive and yes. VRV. Yes, and VRV, indeed. Uh, you can also listen to our sister podcast, uh, The Glorio Chat. It airs every other week from us. If you want to listen to us talk about other anime, usually anime yeah. that aired in 2018, but not <laughs> always. Indeed. And uh, I think that's everything. So, once again, Eero, thank you for accompanying me. Thank you. Uh, to all of you listening to us, thank you. You know, uh, we're at the Big Ten, number ten. Yeah, episode ten, one zero, the Big pretty, X. Pretty cool. Yeah, you know, uh, it's cool, man. We're in, we're in double digits now. We it's a, uh, I it's it's a real milestone. And the middle era of Fletch of the Glory. Of Heroes. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know. You know, I kind of said most of this during our big season finale podcast, but of course, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. You know, thank you for sticking for uh, sticking with us for so long, and you yep. know, we hope you'll uh, you'll continue to uh, to walk this journey with us. Don't always reply to the comments, but we do read them. Yes, we always read the comments. Uh, we don't always reply just because you know. Again, I love I love how much some of you guys have to say and. I wish I could respond in kind. Uh, alas, we don't always have the time, you know, to to address every single point. But you guys often bring up some really interesting points. You guys often say some. Uh, you guys often bring up some stuff that you know we miss either because look, Legend of the Glo- <laughs> Legend of the Galactic Heroes is a is a big series, and Legend of the Glorio Heroes is a short podcast, so we can't always reach everything. But you know, rest assured, we are always paying attention to what you guys are saying. 
We say that, but our podcasts often run over the running time of the episodes of which they cover. Yeah, I mean, I think they do that all the time. I cannot <laughs> remember the last time we had a podcast that stopped around the one hour mark, but I suppose we got to get better at that. Uh, so, you know, until then. The yes, yes, yes. Now we're even doing that. So, okay, one more time. <laughs> until then. I'll see you all next time amongst the sea of stars.